0: Hey, bosses. This week's sponsor is FreshBooks, the easy-to-use cloud accounting software. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to our listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash invest and enter invest like a boss in the how did you hear about us?" section. Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny FD.
1: We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to
0: invest like a boss.
1: Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash.
0: Hey, guys. It's Johnny. And welcome to episode 65 of the Invest Like a Boss podcast. Back here, Sam Marks. Big 65. What's up, Johnny? How you doing, buddy? Good. That's retirement age for... The majority of Americans and probably people around the world, God, that seems ages
1: away, yeah, it's insane, right well, hope uh, at least at least we're like par- partially retired. I don't know what I'll be doing that's uh that's more than thirty years from now, man, what's almost exactly thirty years for you, slightly more for me, but uh yeah, we're enjoying we're enjoying it while we're younger, yeah, I
0: like it. And I'm enjoying it out here in Ukraine still, and you
1: are out in Thailand? The most expensive country in the world.
0: Why do you say that? Are you joking?
1: No, I'm serious. I I spend more money here. I, I, do, I calculate my finances every month. I spend more money here than any other place. Uh, most places in the world, I spend just about the exact same amount of money because in places like London or Singapore, you just have fewer transactions because things are less value. But in Thailand, I'm out. I'm out of pocket every single day like thirty times. It's insane. So uh, it's expensive, but I love it. How is that possible? You're in Chiang Mai. It's one of the cheapest places on earth. All right. So like yesterday, let's see. I went, um, got like a two-hour massage, played golf, went to a dinner. You know, wine's expensive here, right? So if you go get a bottle of wine and any decent restaurant, any decent wine, you're gonna pay probably seventy or eighty dollars. See, I just I do the the good things here because everything's good value except for the wine, but everything else is good value. And and then whenever I'm with friends or people I know, I'm always treating people. I'm always tipping. I tip every single person I come across almost because um, they're just lovely people. And I don't, I don't know, it's just it's an expensive place. That is insane.
0: I mean, I, I yeah. think you just somehow manage to. I mean, I I think on one hand because everything's good value, it's it's easy to just do more things. So. Yes. While we're back home and things are expensive, we're like, you know what? Let's just stay home. Let's let's eat at home. Let's uh, drink wine at home. But because Thailand is such good value, you're like, okay, well, let's just go, go out and just have fun every single day.
1: Yeah, some places in the world, you just feel good about spending money because the value so good. Or the people that you're around, like in Thailand, the Thai people are, are so amazing. You just feel good about spending money and supporting local businesses, having 10 cups of coffee a day, even though I only drink half of them. Uh, and then some places in the world you just don't feel good about spending money because there's it's bad value and bad experiences generally. So uh, this is just one of those places that you're always out of pocket.
0: Yeah, that's so strange, right? Like I, ne- you no- not think about it that way normally, but I feel like if something is a good value, I'll end up getting, you know, I'll I'll get them every other day. Like a massage for example, you know, massages right, in Thailand right. are like ten bucks, so we're like, okay, let's get one every day. But in the US, because they're so expensive, we just never get them at all. So when you really think about it, we end up spending more money on massages in Thailand than we do in the US, even though it's <laughs> a sixth of the price.
1: Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. Absolutely right. So that's how it is for me. Um, but you enjoy it. You, you enjoy every, every local encounter that you have in Thailand, whether you're getting a massage, buying coffee, getting a haircut. Dude, I get haircuts here every single week. And I get my beard trimmed every single week. I never – I haven't gotten a haircut in my life probably since I was like 14 because I always just buzz my head like you, right? But here, I like doing it because I like going out and, and supporting local businesses and and uh, and hanging out with the locals. So it's fun. I like it. So
0: that is a tip on how to spend a, a
1: ton of money living in the cheapest place on earth. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of people that uh, – it's very possible to live uh live on a shoestring here and live a nice life. But – um, but just doesn't work out that way for me, so okay. Well, this today's episode is not really about
0: saving money, uh, even though I like these little tangents we go on, it's about buying kind of this and valuing individual stocks. The example that we're going to be using is Ford and Tesla, but actually, before we even get into that, today was actually a big moment in the Bitcoin world. Uh, the so if you guys are into blockchain and, and different types of coins in the bitcoin world today there was a big there's something called a hard fork which if you guys aren't familiar with that it means anyone who owned bitcoin and had their money in their own wallet so it wasn't like part of it wasn't deposited in something like coinbase you actually would you would have your bitcoin split and not like a like it would not like a stock split where you where now you have double the amount of coin of the same Bitcoin, but now you have the same amount of Bitcoin, but you also have an equal amount of something new called Bitcoin Cash.
1: Right. So actually, I'm still confused about this whole thing, and I spent quite a bit of time working with uh, with our buddy Chris, who's currently with you in the Ukraine, dude. I would have not had any clue about this stuff until Chris wrote me, and he's like, "Hey, do you know about this? Check it out. You need to do, do this, this, and this." I was confused the entire way. Luckily, he walked me through it. I still don't think I have the new bitcoins, but I was able to. I think I'm set up for it now. Like I was able to get my private key, and I believe as long as I have that, uh, then I have extra time to 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 receive uh, these, this new Bitcoin Cash, which I think is it's trading at like a, a uh, what it's trading at like 400 or 450. So uh, if I have 23 coins and I get 23 new Bitcoin Cash coins, that, that's Potentially a lot of money. I'm still a little confused about it, uh, but I'm glad that you're with Chris and you, you probably have a much better understanding of it than I do.
0: Well, you would think I would because he talks about it all the time, but
1: right. it, honestly, it's
0: it's over my head, and I I probably should have acted on this sooner. Um, but my kind of gut instinct was always it's it's not my nature to to get into something as volatile as um, as Bitcoin. That's just not my investing style, but to be honest, just a few hours ago like at the last minute, I'm I find myself on co- you know making a Coinbase account and mm-hmm. trying to buy some bitcoin so I can get the free so then I can move it off of Coinbase and then get the free uh bitcoin cash, but it is a lot more more complicated than all that. I mean, so here's basically what 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 I've found through this process. So, I do not own any any bitcoin. I think it is some kind of cryptocurrency is going to be a big part of our future. And I'm very looking forward to it, especially as the world becomes more international. And it just doesn't make mm-hmm. sense to spend all this money transferring, you know, US dollars to Thai or to Grievna and to pay for things and have all these, you know, huge fees attached to it and have all these regulations, uh, attached to it. So I am a big fan of a future that consists of some kind of, uh, cryptocurrency. The problem yeah. is t- twofold. Uh, one is it's so complex to buy, store, sell, and, uh, protect your, your currency that this is why even though everybody talks about it, very few, you know, very few people in, I guess, percentage wise actually do it. Because even for someone like me who's, you know, I'm not super technical, but I have the help of a friend who, you know, is, Invest into it. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm decent, you know, at the internet, right? But even for me, it's so complicated to be even buy Bitcoin and then even harder to be able to store it, uh, securely, you know, without, you know, uh, without getting hacked. Like what happened to mm-hmm. you with mount Gox, it just, it's just right now, it's just too complicated, especially because it's so volatile. It can, it can jump up to half a billion dollars or it can you know go down to close to zero
1: and we have really no control over that yeah i agree totally with everything that you're saying in just the last three days so i i have a, a wallet that has i originally bought i think it was 50 coin bitcoins this goes back to like 2012 at half in mount cox i think anyone who's been listening to this podcast knows a story that basically lost everything that was in there And I have half in another wallet. This other wallet I haven't logged into in in since that other event. It's just been sitting there. So I had to find all the the login information. Finally got in there, and Chris was helping me get this this uh, password backup phrase. And I was like writing it down. And as I was doing it, my internet crashed, my Mac crashed. And that just doesn't happen with Macs. And especially I had three applications open, just crashed. And I was thinking either I'm gonna log back in and the all the coins are gonna be gone, or what turned out to happen, I logged in the coins are there, but now I feel super vulnerable, like something happened, someone's got my access code some you know these coins are just gonna disappear in the future uh, and honestly, this whole new Bitcoin cash bit is is still confusing to me like I'm not exactly sure how to get those or. Or how to put those to use. So my whole strategy with this stuff is, I have I have those bitcoins. I'm gonna to try to just make sure they're secure, and I'm just gonna put it out of mind, like I did for the last three years. I'm just gonna put it out of mind for the next three years. A lot more technology, more systems to be built around this stuff, and then maybe start getting involved in it more actively. But right now, it's literally just like sitting on chunks of gold or coins of gold, and hopefully one day they're they're worth a lot of money and easy to use.
0: Well, here's the, here's the thing is if anyone's not, you know, that familiar with it, and and you know, we're not really speaking to the people who are actively investing in Bitcoin right now because you guys, I'm sure know a ton more than both of us, but right. as from a novice point of view, here, here are the kind of hassles with buying Bitcoin. Okay. So first I, I signed up for a Coinbase account and there was a guy uh, sitting next to Chris at the co-working space who, is heavily into into Bitcoin. I think he has something like four hundred thousand dollars worth of Ethereum right now, and mm-hmm. he was, you know, uh, he was saying to me, he's like, that's "Hey, that's crazy!
1: I'm... Oh my god, that's right? so crazy! <laughs> so nuts!" So,
0: so but, here, but here's the thing: actually, even before that, is I'm sure he didn't spend four hundred thousand uh, dollars buying right. it. I'm sure he bought it at a much lower price, and it's almost kind of like one of those things where the early early adopters buy it for Almost nothing. They get, they get lucky, uh, because there are, I don't know, hundreds or thousands of different types of coins. And there's literally only two, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum that mm-hmm. any of us have even heard of. A lot of them are either worthless or, or close to worthless. And if you bought those, you would just, you know, they wouldn't be worth anything. Uh, it's mm-hmm. almost like buying penny stocks. So I would kind of consider it to that. And, you know, the people who have bought Ethereum and, you know, it's gone up to, you know, $400,000. All of them, you know, they, they say, you know, they oh, well, the reason why they bought it is because of this, or they knew it was going to happen, or they knew Bitcoin was going to go up. Yeah. But I think hindsight is 2020. You know, I, I think, you know, there's plenty of people who bought other, other things that they lost money on that they're not talking about it. Uh, but anyways, uh, he, you know stopped me and he said hey I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't buy um I wouldn't create an account or, or buy anything here because you're on a public Wi-fi and I'm like well I have my V you know I have my VPN on you know uh, outside so this layer of protection and he's like yeah but you know he's like still it's he's like you know uh Bitcoin and coins go missing all the time because <laughs> it's it's such a lucrative thing to do is just to you know hijack somebody's bitcoins because what are you going to do about it i mean you can't go to authorities
1: you can't get it back it's just gone yeah i got spooked also today because chris was helping me to write down i had to write down this this 12 word password onto my uh, basically i'm just on a piece of paper and i was at a co-working space and afterward my i would go to the bathroom i just leave the password there i had it there next to me next to my computer for eight you know eight hours while i was out the space today and i was like oh my god there's cameras all around here like someone could could easily just zoom in on a camera and see the 12-word passcode. I mean, I, what are the chances of that, right? But somebody could easily do that. So there's just all types of, of vulnerabilities and things I think that can still go wrong and will go wrong before cryptocurrencies are really, really mainstream. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. And, and long term, I definitely agree with you that I'm bullish on it and, and hope it becomes uh, a much more commonplace and a common way of transacting things.
0: Yeah, definitely. So it is exciting. I know why people are really into it. I think the people that are, are into it are super into it. And then the, the people that aren't just – we we just aren't. Uh, even Bitcoin Cash, by, by the time this episode is edited and uploaded, something crazy is going to happen with Bitcoin Cash. Either it's yeah. going to now make everyone who owned Bitcoin twice as rich or – Everybody who gets these free Bitcoin cash, um, you know, coins are just gonna mm-hmm. dump them on the market because they're gonna think it's worth nothing, and it's gonna flood the market with a bunch of cheap coins. And who, who knows? Um, so here's the thing: is cryptocurrency is still at a relatively kind of new uh, age. I personally am not gonna be investing in it anytime soon because. It's just, it's too difficult. It's just too complicated. I don't want to have a 12 digit code on a piece of paper that I cannot, you know, back up on my, um, on Google Photos and because somebody can hack it. Uh, LastPass isn't even safe enough for people to say Mm. keep it on there. Um, there's, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I know my personality. There's no way I'm going to be able to maintain a wallet. Um, and not accident, not have the chance of either having it lost accidentally or hacked accidentally. So it's just not my personality.
1: Right. Well, guys, if you guys want to hear an, a, another episode, we had Chris Dunn on, uh, Back 20 episodes ago, one of our most popular episodes on cryptocurrencies. If you want to hear another episode, let us know. We'll get another expert on. And and uh, it's definitely going to continue to be a hot topic one way or the other. If you guys know anyone that you'd like on, let us know. We'll get them on. But other than cryptocurrencies, another thing that we're really bullish on and excited to talk about and what's going to be actually this week's episode. We're going to be comparing Tesla versus Ford. And this is kind of a continuation of a dinner conversation that I had about a month ago with Mike Mergio. So we got him on. He's the chief investment officer at Greenway Wealth Management. And I think this is going to be really interesting to a lot of people. It's basically c- comparing Tesla versus Ford and how to value not just the, uh, the market cap, but how to value the companies and can compare the companies Apple to Apple.
0: I like it because I think the stock market is a lot more mature. It's a lot more kind of easy to wrap our heads around for most of us. Mm. Uh, and I personally don't really know how to read, you know, into, into valuing a company. It's, it's, it just blows my mind that something like Ford is only worth $10 a share, which I, and Tesla's worth what 400 a share right now,
1: 320.
0: Yeah. So I'm really excited to kind of dive in on how something like that is possible. So let's take a listen. Hey bosses, if you're a freelancer or a small business owner, you need to check out FreshBooks cloud accounting software. I've used them personally and love how easy it was to set up both reoccurring expenses and invoices that automatically send out so you can get paid on time without wasting your time. So what does that actually mean? That means that if you're like me and you hate going in every single month to fill out spreadsheets or submit expenses and you just often forget about it and have to deal with a huge mess down the road, you can just do it once and have it all set up automatically. Even better, you can do the same for sending out invoices to get paid on time without even thinking about it. To help you get started, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to our listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash invest and enter invest like a boss in the how did you hear about us section.
1: Everybody, welcome back to invest like a boss. Today, we have on Mike Mergio, my friend, and he's also the CIO of Greenway Wealth Management. Today, we're going to be talking about Tesla versus Ford, two behemoth automotive companies in the space. Mike,
2: welcome to the show. Thanks, Sam. Good to be here.
1: Yeah, man. Well, it's been fun. So just to give the listeners a bit of background, about a month ago, we met up in uh, South Florida and we had a really fun conversation about Tesla, which I'm a big owner of, and Ford. And it was me, you, and your brother. We're drinking a bunch of wine and we're talking about the difference in valuation in the companies, and you brought to attention a lot of things that I had no idea about how to value a stock. So I think one of the most interesting comparisons right now is Ford versus Tesla. Tesla, or there was just head, headline news that Tesla surpassed Ford in terms of market share, but that's not the entire story, is it?
2: No, no, it's not. And actually, our our conversation, Sam, like, I guess that's where this this uh, this stemmed from, but. The, the comments in the, in the news media have been that Tesla has surpassed a lot of the U.S. car companies in terms of market capitalization. Not exactly market share at this point. They're still a, a smaller company in terms of volume and production. But really what they're referring to is the equity value of the company. And if you look at basically the shares that are outstanding times the stock price is how you how you generate that. Market cap number, and uh, today Tesla is trading for about fifty five billion dollars, and Ford is trading for about forty five billion dollars so that's the that's the comparison that they were making and you sometimes hear that on you know if you're on CNBC or bloomberg or or whichever is your preferred you know financial media show out there uh, when they talk about Tesla and they compare it to other u s car companies or even non u s car companies they tend to talk about its market cap.
1: So what is your preferred medium of news for financial news? (laughs) That's
2: a great question. I, I mean, I watch a lot of them. I mean, I've I've got them. Actually, I I have them on. A lot of times I'm not, I'm not listening to them all that much. I'm usually reading. Um, in the morning, I'll read the journal. I read Barron's on the weekend. (laughs) I have the, I have the shows on during the day, usually on, um, Usually on a low volume, just to see if there's anything that comes across. But uh, I would say I probably have Bloomberg on more than CNBC. Um, Interesting. But, but we have we have both on in the office.
1: Okay, so the headlines read that Tesla is now worth more than Ford, but that is strictly comparing market cap,
2: correct? That's right. Just market cap.
1: What's the, what's the equation of market cap again?
2: Market capitalization is just the share price times the number of shares outstanding. So if you're a if you're a stockholder and you own Tesla shares at, you know today they're trading at let me say three thirty-five or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, three thirty-five on the nose, pre pre-market three forty, 340, three forty-one. So if you take all the, the shares that they have that are outstanding that are being held either by insiders or just, you know, the shares that you own, Sam, mm-hmm. if you take all those, the shares that everybody owns out there that have been issued by the company. And you multiply it by the price in the marketplace. So 341 for Tesla pre-market today, that's going to give you, um, its market cap. And so Tesla's today is, as I mentioned, $55 billion and, uh, Ford is about $45 billion. So that just doesn't, for comparison.
1: so that's market cap, but that doesn't necessarily mean that Tesla is worth more or has more value than Ford straight up.
2: For the equity holders, it does, but as a company, there are other ways that the company has been financed over time. So, um, you know, if you look at, if you look at Tesla, Tesla has primarily issued shares. Um, they've issued stock to help grow the company and, you know, they've issued those in the marketplace and people, you know, like yourself or anybody else who's, who has bought Tesla shares. Um, when they do those uh, public offerings, um, they help finance the company. So they provide the cash in exchange for stock in the company. But there are other ways to to finance a business. And the main one is uh, issuing debt. So uh, Ford has – they have quite a bit of debt outstanding. And that's because other people have des- decided instead of wanting to be an owner of the business, they wanted to be a lender to the business. And so in Ford's case, they have about $140 billion in debt, as well as the equity value that they have um, of forty-five billion, as I mentioned. And so that's, you know, when when you take those things into account, um, you really get a different view in terms of in terms of what the total value potentially is of the company and any buyer out there that wanted to buy the entire company, you know, they would have to uh they would have to pay the equity holders. And they would also have to potentially assume the debt if they didn't want to pay it off, right? So, um, they wouldn't just be able to walk in there and, and fork over, you know, in Tesla's case, um, well, in Tesla's case, they would, they would kind of be able to walk in there and fork over 55 billion. Tesla doesn't have all that much debt. They have five and a half billion dollars of debt. But they also have three and a half billion dollars of cash. So as a buyer, you would, you would look at that and you would say, okay, well, I could walk in there. I could pay $55 billion. I could buy the company. Um, I would assume five and a half billion dollars of debt. So I would owe somebody five and a half billion, but I got three and a half billion sitting on the balance sheet. Mm -hmm. And I could, if I wanted to just pay off three and a half billion dollars of debt, I could, I'd have two billion left over and that gets me to a total investment of $57 billion. And that particular calculation is called enterprise value, um, which basically takes the value of the stock outstanding, it takes the debt outstanding, and then it subtracts out the cash, assuming that the buyer of the entire enterprise would just utilize that cash to pay down the debt.
1: So Ford has almost three times the amount of debt as it does market cap, right? $150 billion in debt. And 50 bill, essentially 50 billion in market cap, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a, you know, if we're, if, yeah, that's, that's accurate. I mean, it's, it's about three to one in terms of the way it's financed. So 75% of it is financed through, through debt and 25% through its market value of equity.
1: That seems like a really large number. Like I don't know how to equate that to, to a smaller scale. Like, okay, if I go out and buy a house and I buy a house that's worth $500,000. It's almost like me being personally in debt one point five million dollars and owning that house that's five hundred thousand dollars. Like the only asset I own is five hundred thousand dollars. It's like what bank would lend me that one point five million just to acquire an asset that's worth five hundred thousand? Is that like a, a kind of a similar way to, to compare it?
2: Well, it's a, it it is a good comparison, but the the way to think about it is is that actually Ford is Ford is effectively financed very much like a house. Um, if you think about it, because remember the total value of their debt and their equity is closer to 200 billion, right? You have to add in the debt. You have to say they have assets that are worth, you know, they have inventory. They have plants and equipment. They have all the stuff that they have purchased over time to help operate the business. And so what I'm saying is if you look at, if you look at Ford, and let's just use the 50 and 150 for, for simplicity's sake. You've got 25% that has been put in by the owners, the equity, and you have 75%, which has been put in by the creditors, the debt the debt holders out there. And typically, when you think about a house, when you go and buy a house, most people say, you know, most banks will say, we'll give you an 80% loan to value. Um, and so that would be 20% equity, 80% debt this is 25% equity, 75% debt. So it's pretty it's actually pretty close to the way you would generally finance a house from that perspective. So think think about it that way. Don't think about the equity as the entire value of the assets because it's not. It's just it's just the way that you financed the assets.
1: So I think at a glance, I think of their debt, the 150 billion in debt. I kind of think of that as a write off, maybe as a waste. But really, what it probably equates to is some type of assets. So if they borrowed 150 billion, it's not like they just sh- sunk cost that into coffees and lattes. It's like that probably went into inventory that is is on their balance sheet of, in some some form or fashion.
2: That's right. I mean, you know, they they will have that company has assets, you know, to 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 put against the um the debt, you know, so that that debt those those lenders to the company are lending to the company because it needs it for something that they're willing to lend against right i mean it, it's 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 very infrequent that uh a company like ford would would go out there and and do a public debt offering or just a a debt offering with the bank and say hey we're you know we need this money for lattes and things like that right. <laughs> they're, they're gonna buy they're gonna buy property they're gonna buy you know plant and equipment they're gonna that they, you know they have They have lots of machinery that goes into, and, and you've heard Musk talk about the machines that make the machines. Right. Um, those things cost money that they have to pay for that some way, right? They, they have to pay for those assets in some way. And in Ford's case, you know, they've just decided that, um, the best way to do that some way was, uh, to finance that by, um, getting somebody to lend them money instead of, instead of selling them a piece of the business now you might you might ask, well why would a company do it that way versus just selling stock and i you know I think there's a lot of this is a sort of a corporate finance um, discussion, but there and there are a lot of different uh, variables that go into that that analysis and that calculation, but one of them is just simply pretty straightforward, which is you know can can the company uh, even support the debt do they generate cash flow because you know, remember, when you uh when you have debt outstanding or when you're you know, when you have a mortgage on your house, you have to make payments on it. You have to you have to pay the interest, you have to at some point you have to pay the principal off. <clears throat> and companies like Ford, they generate cash flow. They're you know, they're pumping out cars, they're they're generating revenue and they're generating cash flow after their expenses, and that cash flow is used to make interest payments on the debt. Um And so one of the big differences in terms of the way that companies will finance their business depends on what stage of their business life cycle they're in. And in Tesla's case, they're a high growth company. They're still spending a lot on building things. I mean, they just built a gigafactory, right? That that cost a bunch of money. And they're only producing, you know, a 100,000 vehicles a year. They don't have the same revenue that Ford does. They have $7 billion of revenue. Ford has $150 billion of revenue. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in terms of in terms of the way you think about that, Tesla is more in a growth-oriented phase. Ford is a more mature company. Um, Ford is kicking off more revenue, more cash flow than Tesla is. Tesla is still building and investing heavily in their business. It's harder for them to pay, make interest payments. Mm-hmm. So it's harder for them to actually go out in the marketplace and raise a bunch of debt to finance their business because they know they're not going to have the cash flow to pay it off in the short term.
1: Yeah, inter- enterprise value is kind of a new term. Is that like a is that a corporate finance term or is that like who uses the word enterprise value?
2: Well, I mean, the you know the marketplace in general. Any any buyer or seller will think about enterprise value because mm-hmm. they are selling. You know, generally, if you sell all the, comp- the the entire company, you are selling. The, ent- the whole enterprise. I mean, it's it's the you know just think of that. It's just that's the business, right? That's the total business value. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just it's not just the equity. It's not just the the money that the shareholders have put in and the value that that the company has created for those shareholders. It's it's everything. It's it's the value of everything in the in the business.
1: So when we talk about enterprise value, we talk about Ford being nearly four times the size of Tesla, even though the headlines say that Tesla is now a bigger company. It's just really a spin on words, right? Like Tesla's market cap is 50 billion, whereas Ford's enterprise value is nearly four times the size of that.
2: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Their, their enterprise value is today is $170 billion. Now, you know, to be fair, Tesla's is 57 billion. So I'd say, yeah, three, three times the enterprise value for Ford versus Tesla. And, you know, to an extent that makes sense, right? Um, You know, because they, Ford is a much bigger company in terms of, in terms of what they're producing, in terms of their revenue, they, they are, A much larger business. And if somebody were to finance that entirely with equity, which they could if they wanted to, if somebody walked in and said, here, here's a $170 million, we're, we're paying for everything. We're paying off the debt and we're paying the shareholders the the price of the stock. Um, today, uh, then, you know, they would own the company and they wouldn't owe anybody anything.
1: I, I guess if we're like, if we're looking at maybe not necessarily Tesla being the case, but a company like Ford. If you look at their market cap versus their enterprise value, it's almost kind of like an iceberg, whereas the market cap's just the tip of the entire value of the company. And there's much, much more of the company under, you know, essentially underwater, right? To, to use to, uh, lack of better terms, that would be the entire enterprise value where like three quarters of the company is essentially underwater. And you, the, the market cap is just kind of the tip of the iceberg.
2: Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a reasonable, I think that's a reasonable way to put it in the sense that, you know, you do have sort of this, this, this value that's, that you can see for the guys that have invested in the business and really own a piece of the company and everything that remains below water there, that sort of, you know, the bottom of the iceberg below the water, you know, would really be, you know, what does the company owe, you know, what do they owe on their debt? Um, What would they have to pay off? You know, in order to, you know, in order to make good on, on those liabilities. And so, yeah, I, I think that is one way you could think of it. And of course, you know, there are different, um, if, if you looked out there at, a, at, you know, the vast variety of, uh, and swath of stocks that, that trade on the public exchanges, you know, the, the debt and equity component of the way that they finance the businesses may look, you know, even a lot different than these two companies, you know, Tesla. Is almost entirely the tip of the iceberg. In other words, they don't have anything underwater. They've mm-hmm. got you know five and a half billion dollars of debt. Ford has, you know, like you said, about one hundred and fifty billion dollars sitting there below the water that you're that you're not seeing. You know, from from that perspective, if you just think about what the owners have versus what's the total value of the business.
1: So uh, a long time ago, there was rumors that Apple might buy Tesla. Uh, they might be getting into cars or self-driving cars. I think they are already, but there's rumors that they might be buying Tesla. So if a company, let's say any company, but let's just use the example of Apple, they want to buy a car company for them to go in and make an offer on Tesla or even Ford, for example, they would be looking much more at the enterprise value versus the market cap, correct?
2: Yeah. They, well, you know, it depends on how they. It depends on what they're, what they're looking to buy, right? And look, everybody, yes, I think you, it depends. You, you kind of look at, you look at enterprise value, you look at market capitalization. I mean, the reality is if, if they're making an investment in the, in the stock of the company, then every, every owner, every equity owner, it doesn't matter if you're Tesla or in and Ford, right? What you're, what you're thinking about is, all right, well, who gets paid before me? Mm-hmm. Right. And the debt holders get paid before you. So at the end of the day, you know, in order for that, that equity to have value, the company were liquidated. Um, you know, or if you were just to say, what's my, what's the future value of this company? Right. How much, how much cash is it going to generate for me over time? How much earnings am I going to be able to take out of the business over time after I pay off all these liabilities? Um, that's what any buyer of the stock is ultimately. Thinking and so in Apple's case, when they think about Tesla, they don't really have to think about much debt. They don't have to think about much getting paid in front of them. Mm-hmm. But that's the same with anybody that's buying Tesla stock. They're not, you know, they don't have to worry about a bunch of debt holders getting, you know, getting paid interest and in principal in front of the value of their stock. So, you know, in Ford's case, you do. They, you know, they have they have a lot of that outstanding and it's got to be paid for over time.
1: So without, without a doubt, Ford is a much, much larger enterprise, a much larger company than Tesla as a whole entity.
2: It is. And, and, and th- you know, there are different ways of comparing companies, right? I mean, we're, we're specifically – and when we, when we talk about when, when you hear that on TV, right, they're talking about one thing. They're talking mm-hmm. about the value of the stock, the total, you know, the total equity value of the company, and that's very important. You know let's not, uh, let's not trivialize that point, because it is amazing that Tesla has a larger equity value um, given that it, the enterprise in, in, different, in different ways of comparis- uh, comparing it is much smaller. I mean, as I mentioned before, Tesla has $7 billion, they had seven billion dollars of revenue in 2016, mm. right. Um, Ford had 150 billion. That's
1: crazy. That is right. crazy. So
2: tw- right, so 20 times, I mean if you think about if you compare the enterprises in that way, if you compare the businesses just on what they sell and how much money they bring in on the top line every year, you know, Ford is 20 times the size of Tesla. That's crazy. Right. So these are just different different ways of of looking at it. You know, Ford generated um, earnings before interest taxes, depreciation and amortization of about $16 billion mm-hmm. last year. Tesla was slightly positive. They were around half a billion dollars, right? So even there, 32 times, right? 32 times more what, you know, some people call like operating cash flow or EBITDA, you know, Ford generated 32 times what Tesla did last
1: year. I'm trying to look up a, a chart right now of like Ford's, Ford's revenue growth. Because it seems like, like for, you know, from a public view, it seems like they're dying. Like there's there's no demand for Ford cars, right? But I, I have no idea. I've never looked at a chart.
2: That's a good question. I mean, and the, the, the answer to it is, no, their, you know, their revenue has grown. I mean, they, they, they did, if you look back at 2014, they did $144 billion of revenue. They did $152 billion last year. So, you know, they did grow their revenue line $8 billion over the last two years. Um, which is not insignificant. You know, now remember you, you also had, uh, well, let's, let's do the, let's do the Tesla comparison really quickly, right? Tesla had $7 billion in revenue last year. They had $3 billion in 2014. So they, so they grew their revenue $4 billion Mm -hmm. over a period when Ford grew its revenue $8 billion. Now you might say that's half the growth and it is. And revenue dollars, but to the Tesla, they more than doubled their revenue right? right They went from three to seven. you know Ford went from one forty four to one fifty two so and this is part of the reason why the equity value of the company, or at least this is one of the reasons why the stockholders or the people that are looking at Tesla as a company are saying, all right, well, you know maybe i' maybe I'm going to value the equity higher um, in a sense is because what they're seeing is. What can Tesla be, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's doubled its revenue, more than doubled it in the last two years. They they just launched the Model Three, right? You're you're, you're basically taking a company that has a hundred thousand units of production in the Model S and the Model X, and Musk is saying we're going to make five hundred thousand Model Threes a year, mm-hmm. right? It's a, I mean, you're you're talking about going from you know a hundred thousand units to six hundred thousand units. Now, those are, those are lower priced cars, of course. You know, let's just say that those are a third of the price of the other two models. But if you think about what that means for the revenue line, you know, it's, it's quite a big number. You know, you, you you could be taking that seven to 15 to 20 over the course of the next year and a half. And that's another doubling or tripling of revenue when the owners of Ford may be looking at it and saying, all right, well, you know, maybe it's going to go grow at 3% a year. So and remember, we, we went from a period of this has not been a this has not been a bad period in terms of revenue for the car industry in general. We went from a low of I, mean, I can't even recall the number, Sam. Um, but when we were in the financial crisis, I mean, the the amount of annual units produced in the U.S. and sold was something like it dipped to like eight or nine million units. And we're now at you know, we're running it. We got up to 18 million and now we're like 16 and a half mm-hmm. million units a year sold in the US. Wow. So the car, the car industry in general has, has really been pretty healthy over the last several years.
1: So a company like Ford, they're paying a almost a five and a half percent dividend, which is not insignificant. Is there any way to determine how much uh, they have 150 billion in debt? Why would mm-hmm. someone Lend them money when they can invest in the equity and get five and a half percent. Are the debt holders getting more, uh, more interest by lending them money? And they're at the top of the capital stack. So they would prefer to do that versus invest in the company and get the five and a half percent yield.
2: Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, look, you know, one of the advantages that the debt holders have is they, they get paid before those dividends get paid. Mm -hmm. Um, that dividend gets cut off before you know, the, the bondholders would ever take a hit to their payout. Right. So it's just lower risk. I mean, you, you are higher in the capital structure, you are in the front of the line to get paid. And so, you know, typically in that situation, you are going to, um, get a lower return, a lower expected return. You should get a lower expected return by having first position mm-hmm. of the company's, you know, the company's income and earnings and, and cash flow. <laughs> And you know that 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 dividend, <clears throat> the dividend that's being paid there by Ford is really more a reflection of the fact that it is a somewhat of a- mature, a more mature business, mm-hmm. right I mean, that decision, the decision that the company is making there is they're saying, all right, well, we're paying our interest, and we've got excess earnings, and are we going to retain it and grow the business with those excess earnings? And, you know, just generate higher earnings per share over time, which is helpful for to the stock in a different way. Right. Because mm. if I can grow my earnings from a dollar to two dollars and I'm getting a 10 multiple, then my stock's going to go from 10 to 20. Right. Right. But um, if they don't if they don't have, you know, if they don't have the growth uh, capabilities to do that, if they're not growing their markets that fast, if they're not growing their units that fast, if they don't need to reinvest the money that way. Then you know one of the decisions they need to make at that point is, do we return that cash to shareholders in some form or fashion? And they can do that by paying dividends. They could do it by buying stock back. In this case, you know, Ford is you know when you look at the dividend yield, um part of what's happening there is they're saying, "All right, we're going to return some of this these earnings to our shareholders. You know they deserve it because they're sitting there and they're behind the you know they've invested in the company, and part of the reason why they've invested is because they thought we'd grow, but they also thought that after we paid our debt, we would pay them some, you know, some distributions. And so here's a dividend. And that's kind of, that's what you're seeing there.
1: So are you an investor in either Tesla or Ford or any, any of your, your clients or customers?
2: There are, um, yeah, we have, there are, you know, there are certainly some, um, holdings in Tesla and Ford, uh, that we have not directly. We don't, we don't hold them directly. Some of, some of the ways in which we invest are, with with other guys that are looking at stock. I don't think we own any Ford actually. Um there are a couple of more growth oriented fund investments um that I look at and that we make out there that um that have held Tesla from time to time. I don't I wouldn't say that they've owned it the entire time, but you know, I know that some of them have owned it from time to time. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I mean the answer is yes.
1: So I'm looking at Ford's charts right now. Pays out a healthy dividend, five, almost five and a half percent. Yet the stock has slid almost for five years in a row. Like if you, if you as an investor and someone financially oriented were looking at this company, would you think this is a sound company to invest in? in in terms of the you know every all the variables that you would consider as an investor and someone in finance.
2: Well, I mean, look, that's a that's a great question. There's a lot of there's a lot of different directions you can go with that question. I think, I think it really depends on, you know, obviously what your view um, is going forward. And remember, you know, the markets are really um, forward looking. Uh, so when people buy stock, they're not, they're generally not thinking about it as what the, what the company has done historically. If that were the case, Tesla would not have a $55 billion market cap, right? Because no, nobody would pay, billion for Tesla as it exists today Mm -hmm. and what it has done in the past. Nobody, nobody would do that. As I mentioned, they're, 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 you know, they're selling a hundred thousand units a year, um, at this point and they're not making money. So everything that you're seeing there, and, and when we think about Ford at $11, but let's, let's just compare them on a market capitalization basis. Let's just say it's, you know, forty-five billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Anybody buying that company today at a forty-five billion dollar market capitalization is making some, you know, some kind of uh analysis based on what they think will happen to Ford in the future. And can they continue to grow? Can they continue to generate cash flow? Can they continue to pay a dividend of, you know, like you said, 5% a year? Um, and that's not their earnings. Remember, their earnings are closer to a dollar. So when you think about it from that perspective, let's just assume Ford paid out all of its earnings. Let's assume it paid you the entire dollar instead of the 60 cents, right? It's trading at it 11 times, right? 12 times. So if you think that there's no growth in Ford and that it will just continue to pay out, you know, or continue to make a dollar a share every year, let's just say they continue to do $150 billion, $152 billion of revenue. They generate a buck a share. And they pay the whole thing to you. It's going to take you about 11 to 12 years to get all of your money back and you still own the company at that point. Right. Right. So that's, that's what you're, that's what you're looking at when you look at Ford. Um, and so there, there's, there are clearly, you know, some, there's clearly some calculus going on out there by the shareholders of that business that are thinking about, you know, well, you know, can they grow the revenue or does the, is the revenue going to decline from here? Um, and maybe it's going to decline because we just went from 9 million units being sold every year in the U.S. to 18 and now it's down to 16 and a half. Are we on the down cycle? Right. Are we are we going to 16? Are we going to 15 and a half? And if we do that, Ford has a bigger piece of the market share than most companies. It's one of the larger car companies out there. Um, and so, you know, if people stop buying, if they start buying a million and a half vehicles less a year. Is that more likely to affect Ford than it is to affect Tesla? Probably, you know, because, you know, Tesla is just getting ready to launch the Model 3. Nobody's even had one yet, right? There's 500,000 people, 400,000 people that put down down payments for that car. So there's, there's definitely a different view in terms of what does the growth of the business look like going forward? And how does that figure into the calculation of what you're willing to pay for something? You know, if 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 you think you got something at seven billion dollars of revenue that's going to grow to a hundred over the next ten years, versus something at one hundred and fifty that's going to sit there at one hundred and fifty, you're probably willing to pay a lot more for something that's going to grow from seven to a hundred than you are, you know, sitting there at one hundred and fifty. Um, and so that's that's the difference that you're seeing, I think, in in these companies. But that doesn't make Ford necessarily a bad investment. It's just a different type of investment. It's just something that is more mature. It's sort of a more of a cash cow oriented business. It's um, it's going to sit there and, you know, churn out its earnings and pay a dividend and, and pay its interest and and um, and that's it. And of course, you know, look, there are there are things that Ford does that Tesla does not do. Right? They have a huge business, and the F one hundred and fifty. I mean, it's the it's the it's the best selling truck.
1: Yeah, great. Yeah, it is
2: the best selling truck out there. But Tesla's and, meant to come out
1: with a truck pretty soon.
2: Yeah, well, you know, and that's again, this is this is the this is the difference, right? This is the difference between the two companies. Is okay, Tesla's meant to come out with that, right? They've they've shown that they can they can do these things. So proof of concept is there in terms of having a you know a great looking EV mm-hmm. in the marketplace. They've been successful in and selling the S. They've been su- successful with the X model, Um and now they're they're embarking on you know. A, a large plan to roll out the model three 500,000 units that they, they want to get there by 2018. Um, a lot of people are looking at, at that and saying, okay, that's a little bit too aggressive because they, you know, Tesla's had a hard time delivering, you know, last, last quarter, they were supposed to deliver 25,000 units. They delivered 22. Yeah. Um, so people are looking at and they're saying, all right, here's a company that has had a tough time delivering 25,000 units a quarter. They're, they want to go to 500,000 500, a year. That's a hundred that's a hundred and twenty five thousand a quarter just on the Model Three. Right. Right. So part of this is can Tesla can Tesla eventually compete with Ford in in the pickup space? Possible, but they've got a bunch of things on their plate, right? Are they are they is that really is that really their their primary objective in the next five years? Is it to compete with the Ford F one fifty I haven't heard that, yet, right? So,
1: yeah. When you look at Tesla, do you see them as a car company or do you see them more as an energy company
2: longer term? Longer term. Hmm. It's a, well, look, I think, you know, there's, there's a bunch of stuff going on there right now. Of course, they made the solar city acquisition. If, if anything, if you think about, I mean, the way I think about energy businesses is really more in generation, not in, you know, battery is more storage. Um, of that and and usage of that, you know, you still have to plug the car in. So somebody else is, is generating the power typically. Now in the solar city business, they do have, you know, they do have solar. Um, they have the solar panels, they have the tiles, the roof tiles that there's some generation there, but most of it is, is storage. And then when you think about Tesla in terms of where most of its revenue comes from and how they, how they generate that revenue, most of it is really from, selling a car. Right. Hmm. So even if you look at it and say, well, it's, you know, and some people say this, well, really it's more of a battery company. Okay. But at this point, they're still monetizing that by selling cars. Right. Um, and you know, that's, that's sort of like saying, you, know, do, you do you consider Google sort of a search company or do you consider it a media company? You know, you could, you could kind of look at it in different ways and I'm, I'm not really sure that, that, You know, whether you look at it as an energy company or whether you look at it as an automotive company, it's really all that meaningful. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's really what channels can they, what channels can they go down to make money? Um, and how can they monetize it? You know, people have said, well, they're going to, you know, they're going to monetize it by going autonomous and taking over Uber. I mean, so. You know, they they could be the next Uber or Lyft, and they could have their own fleet. Um, you know, well then it's just a huge transportation company. Is that an energy company? I mean, I <laughs> I th- I, th- I think it's I I th- I think it's a I think it's a it's a it's a good question, and those are the those are the things that you want to think about and how they can monetize what they're doing. But I'm not sure at the end of the day, it really matters all that much from the perspective of whether you classify it one way or the other. It, it, you know, in terms of how it's going to make it a good investment or a bad investment. Yeah. Um. You know, it's how they do it, how they do it, how they intend to make money off of it, um, and can they execute it? You know, frankly, can they, can they take it from seven billion dollars in revenue to fifty billion?
1: So, Mike, just one more question before we wrap up. So, we we're t- talking earlier about capital stack and how debt holders and and bond holders are first in the capital stack and always get paid back first. So there's a the question going back to GM in the great recession back in 2007 2008 all the GM bondholders got fleeced right where like today GM's profitable making tons of money but all those original bondholders lost money I'm not exactly sure how like how that that worked out or how that played out do you have any more details on that whole scenario
2: Yeah well that's a that's a that's a good question that was a pretty contentious battle Yeah And you know look I mean when I say always get paid back first, um, you know, there are, you know, the, the way that the way that the bankruptcy code and the, and, and things are set up and this gets very technical and, and, it, and again, it, it also, you got to remember anytime you get into a situation like that, you know, where these companies were basically sitting on, you know, on, on in, in bankruptcy, you know, they were not able to make. Payments to their debt holders. And that's what, you know, look, that's what happens. That's what puts you into bankruptcy, right? GM, you go through the Great Recession, uh, 2007, 2008, uh, unit sales go from whatever it was at the time, 14 and a half, 15 million units a year. They go down to eight and a half, right? You're sitting there with a bunch of inventory. You're sitting there with a bunch of costs and expense. And you are highly levered, both financially and operationally. And all of a sudden, you know, your cash flow dries up. It goes negative. You can't, you know, you can't pay the debt holders. You get into a bankruptcy proceeding and then it goes into the courts. Right. And there are a lot of different constituencies that are basically in line to get company assets. The debt holders are a big one. Right. And the bankruptcy code tends to, you know, tends to really favor um tends to really favor the bondholders. And normally that's exactly the way it worked out. And look, I don't have all the details at my fingertips here, but effectively what happened uh, back in 2008, 2007, 2008 with some of these companies is, you know, you do have, you do have a whole bunch of employees too, right? That, you know, part of the reason why these companies are financed the way they are and part of the liabilities they have are to um, some of the stakeholders that actually work at the company. You know, there are, and in this case, you had labor unions, a lot of labor unions, um, you know, with respect to the car manufacturers, those people have been promised retirements. They've been promised a lot of things. There are a lot of liabilities out there. If you think about that, that they're promised as well. And so you have, you have people like that that are promised retirements and they're fighting with. You know, getting the money before the bondholders are. Mm -hmm. And, and how is that all going to happen? And what happens to the equity in that situation? Who gets what? And, you know, look, I'm not a, I'm not a legal expert, a lawyer, and there are, I've, I've, I have heard different, you know, sort of different views on the topic of how that happened. But yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people thought that, you know, the government basically stepped in, um, tried to save, you know, the company and also awarded, uh, pieces of business and and bankruptcy yeah. um, because of the deal they struck right um, a- awarded different pieces of value to other constituencies that that uh, folks felt like was inconsistent with uh the bankruptcy laws and mm-hmm. so you know without without getting into too much detail and without having the information at my fingertips here that 's kind of what happened in that situation as I understand it. And, and look, it's, you know, these are, when you get into that situation, they are battles. Um, yeah. they are battles. There's a lot of, there's a lot of legal fighting over who gets what and how they get it and in what form. And, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, that's a very, very tricky situation, uh, when companies get into, into, into bankruptcy.
1: Gotcha. All right. Last two questions. One is of everything you know of me, I give you $100,000. You're managing my money. Are you investing it in Ford or Tesla? Snap response. Ooh.
2: I'll take, I'll take, t- I'll t- well, what's my time horizon? Uh,
1: let's give me say, 10 let's years? say 10 years, 10 years. Let's say right, 10 I'll, years. I'll
2: take, I'll take Tesla over the next 10
1: years. Yeah, boy. I like that response. I'm a big <laughs> Tesla fan. I'm a big Tesla fan. Hey, listen, I bought Tesla at 170. Elon Musk wrote in his book that Tesla will be the first trillion-dollar company. I think there's a Chinese company that's already a trillion-dollar company, Technon or something, Technon or something. But Tencent, 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 Tencent. tencent, yeah. Yeah. If Elon Musk is even half right that means it'll be a $500 billion company, which means Tesla... Cons- that's a
2: 10-bagger today. That's a 10-bagger
1: yeah. today, right? And <laughs> and, that, and that's my belief. Like, if it, It's worth the risk. It's a 10-bagger today. So I'm holding on. I'm, I'm going through the ups and downs. I think Tesla is going to be one of the biggest companies in the world, if not the biggest company in the world in 10 years. Okay, last question. I know you've met with Jim Rickards, some of the biggest people in finance in the entire world. What's your current... View of the broad market. I know we, we have big people like Harry Dent, lots of people saying we're going to have a huge correction this summer. We're now in August. We got through July. All Greeks debt repayments somehow went without any notice. What are your current views of the market and where we stand today in equity markets?
2: Yeah. Um, so my view today is my view is that stock markets today are pretty fairly or fully, I should say fully valued. I mean, we're, we are you know if you if you go into the market today and you and you buy the s p 500 you're paying you know 18 times 17 18 times next year's earnings that is a pretty full valuation on historical standards um and that doesn't mean anything for the next six months it doesn't even really mean anything for the next year uh it means something for the next five years potentially and the way I look at this is, you know, we always go through cycles. Um, you, you have ups and downs in the markets. You have, you know, you have stuff that looked like 2000, 2001, when technology stocks were at crazy valuations, and you had a couple-year period there where the markets came down. But actually, some pockets of the market did actually very well. You had, you had, you know, you had 2008, which was a totally different scenario—a shutdown in the financial and banking system that took the markets really took everything down. Um, in a huge way. And you've had a, you've had a very sustained, long, slow growth recovery. Mm. Um, and we're working out of, uh, still a lot of, you know, a lot of things that, you know, when you look at the employment situation, um, you know, we're still working out of a lot of that. Does that mean that we can't go back into recession here in the next six months? No, I mean, it, it could happen. I don't, the things I look at don't tell me that that's likely. Um doesn't mean it won't happen. And Sam, my my take on this is, and I've looked at I've looked at this a lot, you know, just in terms of trying to think about when to be invested and when not to be invested. And generally speaking, I think for folks that have, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 year time horizons out there, stocks are where you should be over the long term. There are periods of time where that is not a good investment. Um, it tends to be Aligned with periods when the market and the economy is in recession, mm-hmm. that those those environments are the ones where the stock market does most poorly. Um, it's where the, the bear markets are the deepest. It's where they take the longest to recover from. Um, and so, you know, while I don't love buying stocks when they're really expensive and I feel like they're pretty expensive right now, all things being equal. I don't see a, I don't see a recession hitting in the next six months. The last time I thought we could get close was when oil went from 110 to 25. That was a big deal and that stressed the markets, um, pretty badly. And you could see some companies starting to go bankrupt in that situation. And then all of a sudden it sort of feeds through, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of, kind of, kind of becomes, uh, a, a self-fulfilling type of cycle and that happened in the financial crisis um i think there was a possibility that we were relatively close when energy stocks were dealing with uh with what they were uh, energy companies were dealing with what they were mm-hmm. i don't see any of that right now i think it takes uh, a little time to get there so you know I- i'm still i'm still invested sort of begr- begrudgingly in the market today even though stocks are expensive and the way i would look at it is you got to be invested here because there isn't a recession right around the corner, but you have to be very concerned because you don't have a margin of safety by buying cheap. You're, mm-hmm. you're buying, you're buying expensive. And so if things do turn around, it could get pretty ugly in a short amount of time. And you could see the stock market go down, you know, we look, we've seen it go down 30%. We've seen it go down 40. We've seen it go down 60, right? I mean, the great, the, the great depression, it went down 85. So you know th- those things are out there they can happen there will be another bear market you know you mentioned um mr dent uh projecting that it would happen you know this summer um it hasn't happened i think it's unlikely to happen the fed is in a raising cycle here they have been raising interest rates we typically and this is a this is a like a bit of um just sort of history around uh looking at when recessions tend to happen and what the Fed is doing and what their cycle looks like, you know, it's typically not early in a Fed raising cycle. In other words, you know, they've, they've come off a base of low rates and they're now hiking rates again. Typically there will actually be a a Fed cut before you get a recession. Like they're seeing data that's suggesting that things are slowing and they're trying yeah. to get ahead of it. Um, so there are a couple of things out there. I mean, the, the, the unemployment situation continues to sort of modestly improve, um, inflation is low. Uh, you know, wage growth is not, you know, particularly high. So you don't see a lot of, you know, inflation building up in the system. The Fed is sort of trying to normalize things and they're still on this path of raising rates and corporate profitability is stable. It's not sort of falling off a cliff. A lot of times what we'll see is we'll see a pretty big decline in, um, margins at, at, Corporate and corporate America. Like if you look at S and P companies, you'll see, you'll see margins start to deteriorate pretty significantly. You'll see things like that. Earnings reports so far, you know, this quarter have been pretty good. I mean, there have been, you know, just as many companies beating, if not a lot more beating than have not been beating and, uh, estimates. And so, you know, that seems to be pretty stable right now. Now it can change. Like it could change in six months, could change in three months, but, but right now, I think we're just, we're very fully valued. So you don't have a lot of protection on the downside, but you know, you sort of have low rates and the economy seems to be okay here. Um, so I think for those people that are invested in, in stocks, um, for the long term, and I think you should think about it for the long term, but I think even here they're, you know, they're okay.
1: Good stuff, Mike. Well, Listen, we appreciate you spending your morning with us. I know it's coming on 8 a.m. your time, Eastern Time. But we appreciate you coming on and giving your analysis on Tesla versus Ford. Tesla certainly being a very uh, common and popular stock to talk about, a common company to talk about, Elon Musk and everything that he wants to do and his vision. So it's good to be able to give a, a comparison to a new up-and-coming, uh, potentially energy and automotive mogul compared to you know, Henry Ford's company and something that pays a 5.5% dividend. So really appreciate you coming on.
2: Well, I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun and uh, look forward to potentially doing it again sometime.
1: Have your double shot of espresso and we'll catch you next time on Invest Like a Boss.
2: Sounds good. Take care.
0: Man, I had no idea how little I knew about valuing a company and stocks in general.
1: Yeah, this kind of reminds me of of to some of the previous episodes. Like we had Phil Town on, and we talked about value investing and, and a little bit how to value companies and what they look for. And I feel like this is what they do all day. They look at a company where you and I would look at Tesla and say, "We love Tesla. We we love where it's going. We love the vision." Or someone else on the other side that's been doing this for a long time would look at it and say, "Wow, Ford. You know, Ford's paying a five and a half." Percent yield. Here is this historic company with a P/E ratio of eleven. Someone would look at it with a totally different lens than you and I would, and potentially value and and choose to invest in one of these companies in a completely different fashion than you and I would.
0: Yeah. So I didn't even know what a P/E ratio was until I really looked at it. So I am pulling up, you know, Tesla stock and Ford stock side by side, and I am taking a look at the numbers. And turns out, you know, the P/E ratio is price earnings ratio is. Mm-hmm. Really just about, you know, what percentage dividends are they paying you, you know, per the, the, the price of the stock? And Tesla mm-hmm. pays zero, zero dividends. So it's kind of one mm-hmm. of those, you know, crazy things where I almost kind of feel like companies like Ford are bribing people with a, a high, uh, dividend because right. their future growth of the company is, is pretty stalemate where people aren't expecting Ford's stock to go from Ten dollars and ninety two cents up you know up to you know four hundred dollars um a share, but people are happy keeping Tesla even though it pays zero dividends because they think their four hundred dollars a share might go up to four thousand dollars a share or more
1: It's the musk effect,
0: yeah, but I mean like first off like, aside from the value of the company, how crazy is it that we believe in Tesla so much and Elon Musk so much that we're willing to pay, what, 30 times more uh, for a share of Tesla versus Ford, which is this established company with this heritage that's bribing us with a 5% dividend, which is huge.
1: Yeah, it's part of the story. I think think it has a lot to do with where we think things will be in 10 years. I think the, the vision for Tesla and what Elon's trying to do is, is incredible. I think it's revolutionary. I think it it changes, I think it changes energy. I think it, I think it changes multiple sectors. I think it changes energy. I think it changes transportation, uh, and, and maybe even another one in the future. Who knows? So it's, it's a fun stock to be part of. It's fun to be along on the journey. Just like we bought the model threes together, what a year ago. Back actually right before we started the podcast. And I think those are actually supposed to be coming in pretty soon.
0: Yeah. So they just delivered the first 30 Teslas uh, a few days ago. And they're supposed to be slowly wrapping up production kind of throughout this year. And the reason why they, they slowly wrap it up is they just want to test um, you know, the cars on the road. They first mm-hmm. give it to Tesla employees and they can report back if there's any problems before they really start
1: mass producing them. So, have you heard anything else about it? Has it gotten good reviews? Is anyone hooting and hollering about it?
0: Yeah. So, from what I've read, it's it's impressive. Pe- people say it feels like a like a like a Model S. It feels like a ninety thousand dollar car when you're sitting inside. That it's you know plenty fast. It's not you know it's not ludicrous fast like the like the Model Model S, but. I mean even just comparisons with like the b m w three series or the mercedes c class, which were all kind of uh between let's say thirty five to forty thousand dollars in that that same range the Tesla is basically just better in every way it, it has more cargo space has more headroom it's more comfortable um it's they say the the interior is like Is very, like, very nice. And I'm actually happy that they're not using leather. Uh, Yeah, uh,
1: I saw that. They're going vegan.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, the thing is, I like, I actually really never really liked leather in cars, to be Mm -hmm. honest. And I didn't like, I don't like cheap, you know, plastic materials, but Tesla is, you know, basically has created something that is different than leather, but not, um, but not worse. And I think that that was the kind of quote I liked where they said it's, it's different, but not inferior, where they figured out a way to make something just as good as leather, if not better, uh, using kind of, you know, man made materials.
1: Yeah. So I actually, I saw it in my, my Facebook feed as there's some vegan, I'm not a vegan, but I, I do think a vegan is a good way to go about life. Uh, but I, I got some, something in my news feed that's saying Tesla went vegan and, and they were saying how it's like, it's environmentally friendly. And now Bentley and some of the other big, uh, Luxury car companies are taking a page out of Tesla's book and coming out with their own fake leather of sorts.
0: Well, I like how they're just really disrupting the industry. I mean, things like not having dealerships and cutting out the middlemen, it's huge. And, I, and I'm really glad they're fighting that good fight. The reason why you have to go through a dealership, you have to like argue and negotiate and just deal with all this BS with car companies is because it's the old antiquated model of doing business that shouldn't be around anymore. And Tesla refuses to, you know, to put us through that. They said, you know what? Just pick the car you want. Um, it's a flat price. It's, you know, it's a fair price. That's it. You don't have to negotiate. You don't have to deal with any of that. And unfortunately, because of, you know, the unions, uh, of the car dealerships and all these kind of legal loopholes, there's, there's states like Texas that won't let Tesla, even open a it won't even let them sell Teslas in Texas you you like as of right now you have to have it bought and delivered to another state and then driven over which is insane
1: yeah well we're talking about bitcoin earlier and cryptocurrencies and and how silly it is for banks to control so much and have these mega you know commercial centers and the most expensive real estate in the world and it's just, it's similar to like what tesla's doing in and get, getting rid of the dealerships and have not making things go through dealerships same thing with cryptocurrencies like there's no reason that banks should control what they control and, and need this fancy real estate like in, in this modern digital age all currencies are digital there's no reason to have vaults anymore that that hoard cash right like everything can be simplified and made more efficient and and in cryptocurrencies decentralized
0: it's ridiculous that my Bank of America account charges me $15 anytime I want to deposit money into my account or withdraw anything. And I, I've never actually withdrew any money from that account. I don't even have my ATM card. So I'm just getting paid $15 every time someone wants to deposit money in an account. And the only reason why I have them is because They were the only company shady enough to let me open a business (laughs) account while I was overseas, and they just didn't care. Uh, I would much rather have, have gone with Chase or Fidelity or any other, you know, any any other bank, pretty much. And so I I cannot stand B of A. I cannot wait for them to lose their their monopolies. You know, them, Wells Fargo, all these other big crappy companies. Uh, Chase isn't as bad, but it, they're also one of the the ones up there, and that's why I'm so excited for companies like, you know, Tesla to disrupt the auto industry or Bitcoin to disrupt the, you know, the
1: the money industry. Man, I, I'm I wouldn't be surprised if if Elon Musk was somehow some way involved with the original uh development of Bitcoin. I always had this theory that he was involved in it because his original vision for PayPal was to be something like Bitcoin, but it ended up kind of pivoting and, and becoming more of like an online bank. Uh but if you look back, I believe his his original his original vision was to make it much more of like a uh a, an actual currency. Um so I always had this suspicion that after he got out of PayPal he created Bitcoin to be what his actual vision was. But certainly he knows a lot about both industries and uh and is very very much in so shaped both of them up. You know, I, I would love it if if
0: it's revealed someday that he was actually the yeah. inventor
1: of Bitcoin. Yeah, man. So there's one other uh, interesting point that uh, regarding the stock market that we are now officially in August as of today, which means that we have in fact snuck through two major points of what some of uh, the recent experts on the podcast thought were going to be massive massive uh, correction months july with the de- the greek debt repayment was something that uh, phil canella was on saying that he thought was going to be kind of the the um the major shockwave that that disrupted the market and sent us into a big big correction uh, harry Dent also was pro- projecting for this summer so we're in august now and now even more people are saying that we're headed for a big correction uh potentially this month, but if you look at the markets, everything's look looks rock steady. Almost uh Dow's about to cross twenty two thousand. Everything seems to be really stable. Who knows, man? Who knows? Well here's the
0: thing about the Doom and Gloom Protectors is they are bound to be right sometime and people don't really think about them and they kind of forget about them when they are wrong because it's not a big deal. and They, they kind of like, you know, they don't only really make, make any noise, but as soon as one of them happens to be right, everybody's going to think they are these, you know, geniuses. They're, they're these, you know, stock market predicting gods. Mm-hmm. And that is why I try to stay on course. I try not to listen to too much of the hype. Um, and unfortunately, I, I have kind of fallen a little bit into the hype by this is the first month in maybe 2 years now I have not put this you know um $3000 into Vanguard and I've been doing so I think for the last 2 years consistently dollar costs averaging putting money into Vanguard and this is the first month I haven't done it because I've been
1: a little bit scared uh, I did the same thing in almost similar fashion except that I've been holding Tesla stock for almost 3 years now I said I'd never I'd never sell it until it went to 1000 or more I actually sold about 20% of it When it crossed 300, with the intention of buying it back cheaper, because I was thinking, okay, Tesla's so volatile. If we get into any type of market correction, Tesla's going to take a nosedive. I'll just buy it back cheaper, and that never happened. And now it's at 330. Went up to almost 400. Um, So yeah, I I broke my, I broke my uh, philosophy as well. But sometimes with this podcast, even though we know we definitely shouldn't be doing something, it's still fun to test things because we're still in so much of a learning phase that I know if I make mistakes, I'm still chalking it up to experience and knowledge that I can put to test and to use for the rest of my life.
0: Yeah. And you know what? It's, it's, it's interesting. I think we're our, our own experiment. Uh, and I just took a look at uh, VTI and it looks like it includes both uh, shares of Ford and Tesla. So technically, yeah. I'm invested in, in both.
1: So you're getting a little bit of dividend from Ford and you're hopefully getting some capital appreciation from Tesla.
0: Yeah, and, and that's the thing. And that is what makes index funds like VTI so powerful is mm-hmm. I'm not taking a gamble on either or. I mean, I guess you could just buy some shares of Ford and some shares of Vanguard and you know try to protect yourself, uh, hedge your bets that way. But why not just buy the entire stock market with the VTI?
1: Yeah. So I think just, uh, in summary with the kind of the takeaway from the interview with Mike and the chat with Mike was that if you just look at market cap, you would say, because this is what all the headlines were saying about a month ago, Tesla just overtook Ford uh, is Tesla now a larger company than Ford? There's all different types of ways the headlines were spun, but when it comes down to it, Ford is still a much, much larger company on this quote unquote enterprise level, uh, Tesla just has now a larger market cap, but doesn't necessarily mean that the entire entity, the entire corporation is more valuable. It just means that's just just one component and one variable of it.
0: Yeah, and I think that's really interesting. And this kind of just reminds me not to buy individual stocks. Um, and that's not part of my <laughs> plan. But right. it, I, I am glad that we had them on too because it's good to at least understand why these things are the way they are. Tesla, mm-hmm. to me... Kind of acts more like a a startup than an actual you know profit producing company because if you think about it I mean it's, it's really kind of crazy to think about is they're they're worth fifty three billion dollars but they're I mean the amount of cars they actually produce are minuscule compared right. to that right I mean they're, they're not yeah. like they're not creating that much product
1: right but like you said like in startup form you have Ford. I don't think there's been a headline about Ford that I can re- ever remember in the last few years. Uh can you remember anything that Ford like f- it, comparing Tesla to Ford just on headlines, Tesla is making big news almost every single week. Musk is in the news they're talking about the Model Three. They're talking about the new Gigafactory. They're talking about the uh, the recharging Hyper-nude. infrastructure. Yeah, the hype and it all ties back into the Solar City acquisition. I mean, every single week there's there's more headline uh worthy news from Tesla, whereas four is just like I mean, from the outside in, it sounds like Ford's dying. I mean, especially in Asia, you hardly ever see a Ford car. I know in the US, you see, you know, you see the F one hundred and fifty and stuff. But from the outside in, it seems like Ford is on the way out, and Tesla's the future.
0: Yeah, and, and it's insane. I mean, it's. I think Ford has the the their trucks are good, the F one hundred and fifty and everything are good. But I think people are going to start buying smaller and smaller cars. Um, mm things like the Mustang are beautiful but even today like they're, they're just made so crappy. They're just like they're like when you when I sit inside I'm so uncomfortable in a Mustang even though it's huge, you know. It's it's literally twice the size of like a Miata or something and I am so much more comfortable in, in these Japanese sports cars just cuz they're designed so much better. And I think Ford has kind of been resting on their laurels, resting on their their heritage and their their kind of iconic name for too long. Mm. That's gonna run out.
1: Yeah, I, I think even in five years, maybe as soon as five years, but definitely in ten years, it's gonna be really, really frowned upon to drive anything but an electric or a hybrid car. If you're dri- if you're driving a, a eight cylinder uh, gas car, I think you're gonna start getting bad looks when you're driving down the road. Maybe maybe as soon as five years, but definitely in ten years.
0: Yeah, I don't know. So I'm curious, uh what are you going to do about your Model 3? Are are you planning on taking delivery? Uh, are you planning are you thinking about the options or anything?
1: I don't even know when it was going to ask you. When do you think we're we're supposed to be getting it cuz we should be getting ours about the same day. So what's pretty funny is we
0: normally we would want to you know, get it sooner than, than later. I mean, like if I pre-ordered an iPhone, I'd want it today. I'd want it as soon as possible. But with my Model 3, I'm actually hoping that it's going to be delayed and it's going to be pushed out later because I don't have any plans to move back to the U.S. anytime soon.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I am mean, it's some the same. Yeah.
0: It almost sounds ridiculous, but I'm actually thinking like, should I base my life decision of moving back to the U.S. or staying abroad solely
1: because I really want this car? I'm thinking the exact same thing. Well, also, when we ordered it in, when we were in Koh Lanta, I was like, you know what? This just gives me a reason to like finish my business in Asia. And when this thing's delivered, that's my, that's my calling home. And was kind of using it as like a lever to go back. Um, and maybe, maybe I would, but I think right now the plan would be get it delivered, give it to my parents. And if I come back to the US, then I can reclaim it. Okay. I like it. So I am curious.
0: Uh, have you, have you, Heard about like the, the different options, like the different engine options, or, or the colors, or the packages, or anything?
1: Not at all no.
0: Okay, so there's basically gonna be two different engine types. There's basically gonna be a standard and a long range. The standard is the one that's gonna be thirty five thousand dollars starting, and it has two hundred and twenty miles range, uh, which is is pretty much like the like the basic um model S, and it's mm-hmm. gonna go zero to sixty in five point six seconds. Which is quick, but it's, it's, it's actually, it's pretty quick, but it's not like super fast. The long range version is $9,000 more. So it's $44,000 starting and it's going to get 310 miles range, which puts it as one of the best cars out there. I think the only other electric vehicle that gets over 300 mile range is the top of the line Model S and with the bigger battery pack, it's going to go faster too. It's going to be 5.1 second, 0 to 60.
1: What's, what's a uh, like a super sport car do 0 to 60 in? Like four, four and a half?
0: Like um like a Ferrari or something?
1: Yeah. Uh, I let's take like, a look. I, I, I think that that is almost as fast as any car on the road at, at five seconds. I know the Model S is meant to be the fastest car on the road. But I, I, I still think that that would be – I mean we're not really in our Fast and Furious days anymore. I think that would be super, super fast for – for all of our intense purposes.
0: All right. So I'm taking a look at some zero to 60 times of, of kind of popular cars and something like um, let's say an, like an Acura um, is normally like the normal zero to 60 time is going to be like between the six to seven uh, second range, mm-hmm. uh, which is, which is a, a lot slower. And like with, let's say like an Audi, um like a newer, a newer Audi, that's, let's say, 2017, um, or 2016 S4, which is like, um, one of their kind of like supercar, like their supercars, uh, that'll, that'll be 4.4 4 seconds. So that's faster, but that's faster. something like an A4 Sport, which is kind of like their basic one, that's going to be 8.6 seconds. So that's much slower than the, the than the Model 3.
1: Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think I'll probably just take the base model, honestly. Uh because we won't need to know how where I'm driving it or or how far I'm going driving it or anything else. So, um yeah. Okay. I like that. I'm actually kind of surprised. I actually thought you would take the <laughs> the the higher model. Uh
0: and what's what's crazy is all the different options actually makes it add up to almost the price of a base model um s if you if you got the top of the line kind of tricked out model three with the long range battery premium uh paint colors the 19 inch rims um the premium package autopilot the self driving uh capability it ends up being something like eighty thousand dollars which were seventy thousand mm-hmm. dollars which is just a little bit less than the the
1: the model s yeah, I, and I love uh my my buddy Kevin Sheng in Hong Kong. He just bought the Model X, the SUV. That thing is super pimp.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm sure they're they're awesome. I think that one's also a hundred thousand dollars or more. Right. So yeah. I I, I I'm, I'm curious: Are you planning on getting any of these options, or are you planning on trying to keep it as as basic as possible?
1: I, honestly, like I'm not even that excited about it. It was kind of just a an imp, improvised decision, impulsive decision. Um. So I'll probably just get the base and give it to my parents. Like if I was going to definitely move back to the US and be hunkering down there, I would probably get a Model X and or and or a Model S and get like the really nice ones, but this is just kind of like a a fun be part of the story and uh you know support the company, support the vision just like owning the stock and yeah, just keep it basic.
0: I like it. So I'm sure we'll talk about it more as it actually gets delivered. Um as far as right now, you know, I'm I'm also going to try to keep it as close to $35,000 as possible. But who knows if I'm even going to take delivery on it and who knows if the what 500,000 other people are going to take delivery on it. Uh <laughs> only only kind of time will tell.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right. So I think this was a good episode. Now we know a lot more about how to value Companies, stocks. We talked a little bit about different types of, uh, of coins. I'm curious um, how that's going to work out with your Bitcoin Cash fork. And it, this is this is exciting. This is kind of part of uh, the journey for both of us.
1: Yeah, a lot of interesting things happening on, and uh, continue to to plug along. So this this quarter has been interesting so far. We've done a lot of strategic episodes, and I know we got a lot more coming on. The, uh, the options stuff that we did last week was super interesting and already putting some of that into play and, and uh, having a lot of smart conversations around it. So keep we'll keep trying to do some more of these strategic episodes and, and uh, continue learning each week as we go along. I like it. And I can't wait for our quarter three update, our Q3
0: update, because I think there's going to be a lot of changes in that, even though we keep saying uh, we're going to stay on course. We're not going to do anything different.
1: Yeah, definitely, man.
0: All right. So speaking of different, we got our first review from India. So big thank you to Shubham1122 from India. He says, like a boss, five stars. Thanks for the guidance. Great podcast. So if you guys are from anywhere else in the world, give us a shout. Let us know because we love hearing from people who aren't just in the US. We try to keep our podcast varied. Uh, I know there's a lot of things that we we talk about that are more US specific because both Sam and I are from there, but uh, I think everything that we talked about today can be worldwide and that's actually another cool part of cryptocurrencies because that's definitely international and worldwide. Uh, Speaking of which, if you guys have an online business and you guys are traveling the world and want to get paid uh, easily through invoicing, check out our sponsor, FreshBooks. Enter invest like a boss in the how you heard about us section uh if you go to freshbooks.com slash invest like a boss thanks guys and i'll see all of you next week bye-bye thanks for listening to the best like a boss podcast join our mailing list at invest like a to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum if
1: you enjoyed this episode please subscribe on itunes or your favorite podcast app tell your friends and leave us a review in the itunes store it helps more than you know see you guys next week